Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Well, as promised at the Michael Jr. Extravaganza Friday night and uh, wherever we've been heard, I've been telling as many people as possible, this is Ask the Experts Week. From 6 to 9 every morning here, we're going to be tackling these topics with an expert in-house. And today we have Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Great guy, fun man, tells phenomenal jokes, most of them, not all of them. Oh. No, 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 no. No, no, no man is perfect. No man is perfect. Don't don't sanctify this man with regard to joke telling. But he's got some good ones. I was the brunt of some jokes. Were you? Yeah, I had the privilege of emceeing his last grand birthday party. I think he turned 50. Oh, and, okay. Um, okay. Boy, oh boy, if you emcee his birthday party. Um, Get that, ready. Yeah, it makes you fodder. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. A, you're, you're just fodder. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, Allie, what, let's get him in here. Yeah, Pastor Erwin Lutzer, Pastor Emeritus <laughs> of Moody Church. He's an award-winning author of many books and also host of Running to Win, which you hear weekdays at 930 right here on Moody Radio. And we got a treat, Boom Crew. We are uncorking a brand new book today. This is the first time we've spoken about it on air. No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. The author, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, is with us right now. Good morning, Pastor. Hey, good morning, Carl. And uh, let me say this, since you mentioned <laughs> that you were the MC, I might as well tell everybody what I said that Okay, here we, okay. here we go. Here we go. All right, go ahead. So Carl and I were riding along. He was driving on 294, driving too fast. A cop pulled him over. And uh, Carl didn't have a seatbelt on because this was long ago when he was the big Carl and didn't need a seatbelt. As the car was walking, to, as the cop was walking toward the car, uh, Carl took that seatbelt. He struggled with it some, but he clicked it in. He rolled down the window. The cop said, uh, "Is your seatbelt on?" Carl said, "Yep." Cop said. Uh, do you always thread it through the steering wheel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. There you and, go. And uh, Carl, said, Carl said, yes. He said, it helps me drive straight. Oh, wow. <laughs> Pastor. So that was, that was just you. one of them. That was just one <sighs> of them. And he, we had many, trust me. After a while, you get numb to these things, guys. It's... After a while, you just kind of get numb to them. Are you and sure he quick... doesn't always tell a good joke? That one was really good. So oh, I've heard one or two that weren't up to par. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not going to let this man. I mean, he's brilliant in many ways. I can't let him write this off as A plus for everything. Ah, uh, okay. You can't do that. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, Pastor, it's good to have you here today. By the way, Boom Crew, we're opening up the phone lines and text lines right now. We are going to have Pastor Lutzer with us here until 9 a.m. We're going to wear him out in the best way possible. So if you have questions for uh, Pastor Lutzer, let's focus questions for right now on uh, Christ and culture. Culture and living for Christ in the days that we live in. If you're looking at um, things going on politically or socially and you have some questions, you'd like some biblical insight, call us or text us. We'll get you on with Pastor Lutzer, 312-274-9624. You can use that number for both calls and texts, 312-274-9624 to ask the expert today, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. All right, we're going to jump right into it. Brand new book out, guys. Uh, You can get this. Where books are sold. 
anywhere books are sold. No reason to hide standing for Christ in a collapsing culture. Pastor, would you mind if we gave away a couple of these an hour today or something like that? Would that be all right? I'd, I'd love it if you were to give it away. And by the way, yeah. christianbook.com okay. has a tremendous sale on them. And if you use the promo code LUTZER22, you even get more off. So that there you go. Uh, is one way that people can get the book. That's great. Fantastic. All right, we'll keep that highlighted all morning. All right, I'm going to jump in here, Boom Crew. We're going to get into this. We live in a world today that's very post-Christian, has been post-Christian a long time. And not that we want to become Christian, we want to see an awakening and revival for sure. And we want to, we, we want that to happen. But Pastor Lutzer, in your book, second chapter is, will we be intimidated by the collective, by collective demonization? Here's the question that I have in it. I don't know that you directly answer it in this chapter, but I think it'll set the deck for a lot of people that wonder the same thing. I've talked with a lot of spirit-filled, walking with Jesus committed to devotions, seeking God in prayer, struggling, as James says, to become mature and complete, lacking in nothing. However, they hesitate with the we. Who is the we? Because it seems who gets piled in here is almost a nationalistic Christianity. People that wave flags and claim Jesus' name, but don't nece- they aren't necessarily followers of Christ, nor do their lives exhibit that. How do we delineate and almost separate ourselves. I find myself candidly, Pastor, trying to explain some things, who, what a disciple of Christ is in some circles. Do you track with me here, brother? I think I do. But the thing that we need to do is to distinguish nationalism from patriotism. Yes. There is a legitimate area of patriotism that I suppose people around the world have to their different countries. Nationalism is when you want to say that you are superior or that you want to use your superiority in order to control others. And so there is a form of nationalism. Of course, as you know, the quintessential example of that is Nazi Germany. Yes. Where you have a nationalism that uh, can become ugly and horrible and evil. But patriotism You have to remember, Carl, that I was born and raised in Canada. I am a naturalized American citizen. Yes. And it is with pride that I sing the national anthem. And um, I'm glad to be an American. Canada, you know, has a lot of problems, as you well know. Boy, and recently, uh, it's it's amazing. And recently, uh, just incredible. It's not the country I left 50 years ago, by no means. But anyway, so it's okay to be patriotic. The problem is when patriotism is somehow so connected with Christianity that people confuse the two or conflate the two or actually think that the patriotism is more important than your relationship with Christ. So that has to be kept in in sync. But in, in reference to the chapter that you referenced in my book, No Reason to Hide, Collective demonization has to do when everybody's supposed to go along with the culture. Now, it used to be that if you were a good chemist and had a PhD and were a good teacher, you could get a job in a university. Nowadays, you'll be asked, are you comfortable with multiple pronouns? Are you uh, going along with the LGBTQ community agenda? Right. All of that now 
is being factored into getting a job, living in this culture. And those are the kinds of issues that I deal with, which are not really so much a matter of patriotism or nationalism as they are a matter of being obedient to Christ. Good answer. Great answer. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Ask the experts all week long. Today, Dr. Lutzer's here. His new book, No Reason to Hide, can be found at any place you buy books, but ChristianBooks.com has a special discount going right now. You plug in Lutzer 22 and this brand new, hot off the press, amazing little read, forwarded a little endorsement here by H.B. Charles Jr., uh, you're going to love it. Uh, the question before the question, got a good one here. Alex. Yeah, this is a quick one for you, Dr. Lutzer. We'll get back to uh, the other ones. But what's your favorite Bible verse that came in by text? You got a favorite? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Usually I write Psalm 1611. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's part of the verse. Uh, the first part, I just don't know exactly how it begins, but that's at thy right hand. I, I've set the Lord always before yes, me. He, was at, he is at my right hand. Yes. I shall oh, not be moved. It's one yeah. of my That's favorites, too. And then it says, you know, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Yeah. It's a good one. Okay, Pastor, someone asked, how in the world do we pick the right candidate to vote for? What do you say? Well, Carl, first of all, as you know, I've never endorsed a political candidate nope. or a party. I don't want to attach the gospel to a party. And uh, or to a candidate for that matter. However, I will say this, that all candidates are flawed <laughs> because the human <laughs> race is flawed. Yeah. <laughs> so what you have uh, to do is to simply ask this question. And it's not always simple. I think sometimes it's very simple. Which candidate, which candidate has the values that I most support? And you won't get everything in any candidate. But that's the way you have to look at it, you know. And, and I just was told yesterday by someone that there are many Christians that don't vote. I think that is so wrong. I know. We have the opportunity to vote. Of course, they are all flawed, or maybe you don't like all of them or any of them. But just think. Think of other countries in the world where you have no choice at all. And so if you're going to wait for a perfect candidate well, I'm glad that you're going to show up in the millennial kingdom and we'll yes. all vote for Jesus. Got that right. And finally, we'll have him. So in a fallen world, sometimes you have to look past the person's character to what he believes, what you believe he will accomplish, and you do your best to make a wise and informed decision. Uh, on that issue of morality, Pastor, I heard an apologist here recently share something that really struck with me. And I thought, hmm, does that pass muster? I'm going to ask you. They made this statement that if you cannot respect life in the womb, you do not respect life out of the womb. What do you say to that catchphrase? Is that a pithy grabber or is there some truth to it? I think that there's some truth to it, although there would be those who would argue and say, you know, that the fetus is actually not a baby, which of course is very irrational to argue. Uh, let me just be very clear and say that if Mary had had an abortion, Jesus would not have been born. I think that's very clear. But at the same time, there has to be a connection because when you devalue life in the womb, 
you do devalue life. You know, Carl, I was just thinking about this yesterday. Do you remember back in the 70s when Francis Schaeffer told us that if we begin to accept abortion, the next thing will be infanticide, the next thing is going to be euthanasia? Well, it's true. Well, you know, euthanasia is happening in Canada because, and, and certainly in some of the countries in Europe, because if you do not value life, if you devalue it, and it can begin, of course, with the, the abortion issue, uh, then, of course, certain things follow. Either everyone is created in the image of God and life is to be valued. You devalue it, it has repercussions. Oh, that's great. Okay, I'm going to throw you know, a little lightning round here. Got a couple that, boy, they're coming in now. Um, is, in your estimation, Little Horn, Antichrist, alive today, given the speedy uh, sprint we're making, it it appears, to the second coming? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love this. Do you know? I'm, we we have, right, I, let I, me I'll, ask you another one first. Is is there a reconstitution of the Roman Empire? Are we anywhere close to that even? Because a little horn has to come out of that. Well, you know, Carl, in the library at the Moody Bible Institute, <laughs> twenty five or thirty years ago, I checked out a book written by a prominent Christian. I won't mention his name. Okay, he's in heaven now that proved conclusively that Hitler was the Antichrist, Mussolini was the false prophet, and everything was falling together. And you know what? Everything fell apart. That wasn't wasn't true. So I'm going to back off a little bit and say this. I'm going to say two things simultaneously. First of all, when it comes to matters of prophecy, I always say sometimes it's best to say much too little than a little too much. I will say that we are one day closer to the return of Christ than we were yesterday. Hey, 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 hold it, hold it a second. Pastor Lutzer hit one there. That is a prophecy (laughs) that is accurate. (laughs) That's a prophecy. But I will say this, regardless of how the Roman Empire is going to be constituted and so forth, when I look at what is happening globally, You know, I read Klaus Schwab's book. By the way, the book that you are featuring today, No Reason to Hide, has a chapter on the Great Reset because Karl Schwab wrote a book, you know, on uh, COVID-19 and the Great Reset and how the World Economic Forum is trying to realign the nations based on equity and control. And he says expressly in that book, There are going to be all kinds of issues regarding uh, personal freedom, but people will be willing to set those aside because of fear. That is because of the next pandemic that is coming. All that to say, cashless society, what you do is you see the 13th chapter, the book of Revelation. And I know every generation has felt that they have seen it, but Carl, never before, Have we seen such a development of the political, of course, also the religious, which could happen, all controlled by economics, and it's all there in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, exactly where the Antichrist is going to come, I don't know if he's alive today. He might be. But uh, the point is, 
we are going to reach a point of globalism. And the way in which this is going to happen, and I'm not scaring anybody because I'm not an economist, so don't take this to the bank, so to speak, <laughs> but take everything out of the bank, maybe. I'm smiling when <laughs> yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to get a run on the banks. <laughs> yeah, all right, right. But it'll happen if there's a worldwide economic collapse and the World Economic Forum wants to bring about equity so that everybody has the same amount and you won't own the money. It will be given to you and in equity. And all of this is being planned. Hmm. Now, that could be many years off. Sure. I'm not saying sure. that you should, uh, you know, jettison your account, your uh, retirement account, which almost certainly has dropped in the last couple of months. But um, nonetheless, we can see how it's all coming together. Yeah. But here, here yeah. for that caller is my last word on okay. this. Whether Jesus comes tomorrow in the rapture or whether he comes in 50 or 100 years, we are equally accountable to him for the way we live today. Amen, brother. Okay, Pastor Lutzer, got a question for you. When does local... <clears throat> excuse me, local or national government decline to a point that we become resistant? Uh, first of all, let me say this, that uh, sometime this morning, Carl, yes, we should take out time to recognize this very important day in church history. And it's not Halloween. And it's not Halloween. <laughs> 505 years yes. ago, Martin yes. Luther nailed the 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg and began the Reformation. And since we're talking about my books, I might mention that I wrote a book about this entitled Rescuing the Gospel. And that book actually even comes with pictures. So everyone can read it, Rescuing the Gospel. And... Uh, what we need to do is to understand that there was a divide in history that began there, and every single person listening this morning, whether they know it or not, have been affected by it. Yeah, you aren't kidding. So we should just notice that, that That's today, good. October the 31st, All Saints Day, that was the day that that seed was planted, including freedom of religion. Right. Can I talk about it just for a moment? Sure. And we'll discuss the other questions. Okay. When Luther was there at the Diet of Orms and made his famous declaration, my conscience is taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. To go against conscience is neither right nor sake. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. Later on, you know, the uh, emperor wrote an edict saying Luther had to be put to death, though they were going to allow him to go home without incident because he had pro they had promised him that. But he said, a single monk standing against the church and a thousand years of church history must be put to death. There was no freedom of religion. But when Luther said that my conscience was above what was being taught, he started and planted a seed which grew into freedom of religion. And most people have no idea that that was actually the genesis of it. That's fantastic. Good information here, Pastor. Okay, back to the question that we received here. If local, when does it come to the point when local or national government begins to push so far 
in immorality of any kind that we must stand against it? Oh, well, standing against it, that's something. I thought at first when you read the question, it had to do with rebellion and so forth. But standing against it is exactly what we should be doing now. You know, uh, let me give you an example. A school teacher told me at Moody Bible Institute, he teaches in one of our public schools in Illinois. He said he was told that it is not enough that you simply tolerate same-sex marriage. If you don't celebrate it, you could lose your job. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a line in the sand. He cannot celebrate it. And so here's a question for all of your audience to think about. Now, if he gets fired because he isn't going to celebrate it, which he can't do, is the rest of the church going to come around him and say, you know, we're going to help you through this because, you know, you have a wife to wife and children to feed and so forth. Great point. Or are we going to ignore it? I think that what is happening in our culture is going to force us to rethink even the the role of the church. You know, Rebecca and I have been in Russia. We've been in Belarus and other places where there is no freedom like there is in America. Christians stand together. In fact, in Czechoslovakia, today, of course, the Czech Republic, a man told us under communism, we stuck together. The church was strong. Right. But when communism was taken away and every teenager began to have a cell phone, he said that we have lost the church. And so what we need to do is to realize that when culture begins to close in, we have to stand with one another and we have to support each other in ways that we as Americans have never had to do before. Yeah, and we have not been the Acts 2 church in America for a long time. And this may unite us like never before. We want an awakening in the church. We might be there. Okay, Allie, do we have more questions? Yeah, this one came in by text message, and someone asked Pastor Lutzer, I recently heard, they said, by the way, I love running to win. I recently heard uh, about the, uh, the church today being the church of Laodicea. What do you say? Is the American church the church? of Laodicea? Yes, I'm sure it is. Of course, there are bits and pieces of the seven churches of Revelation that have applied to all churches in all times. I especially, in my book, We Will Not Be Silenced, emphasize the church in Sardis, where Jesus says, strengthen what remains. And then he says, and there are still some of you in Sardis who have not soiled your garments, and you shall walk with me in white, for you are worthy. So that church also applies to today. But I need to emphasize that uh, we're living at a time, many people are praying for revival, all right? And I among them. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I don't think that we understand what we are praying for. Mm. Do I have time to comment on that quickly, Carl? Pastor, yes, take it. All right. I lived through a revival in the early 70s in Canada. It was brutal. Christians could not sleep because of conviction of sin. I mean, it was so costly. People were sending money back to the government because they had cheated on their taxes, and the government didn't know what to do if it suddenly get all these letters. A man built houses with inferior materials and had actually um, you know, lied to people that I'm going to build it this way, but then he built it with inferior materials. And now he's convicted. He has to mortgage his house 
go to all of his previous clients and as best as he can pay back what he has done. That's story after story of God taking his people apart piece by piece. Kids, children, teenagers leaving the church service in the middle of it, running down the aisle, finding their parents and asking forgiveness. You know, people think, oh, if a revival comes, then America can still be the great city and we can go on with our American way of life. What does revival do? God takes people apart piece by piece, his people, Mm. and it is convicting. People are dealing with issues that have been swept under the rug for years and years and years. Families with painful situations are being reconciled. I'll tell you something. Revival is wonderful, obviously. But it's messy. But it can be very painful and Mm. messy, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. We got a treat for you this week. Ask the experts today, Pastor Lutzer. We're focusing on almost the here and now. Yes, we're tackling prophecy and even Halloween here for a second. But okay, we got a couple of questions here. I'm going to get this is a quick one. We don't want to spend too much time on this one, Pastor. Does a Christian, should they should they celebrate Halloween? You know, at one time I did a study of the roots of Halloween, and I do need to tell you it is very demonic. Okay. If you go back into its history, that's what you discover. And, you know, there are people who struggle with evil spirits, and they tell me that uh, October, as they anticipate Halloween, is a very, very terrible month because it's at that time when you have the unleashing of a lot of evil. That being said, for us, I remember when our children were little, I don't think I understood the roots of Halloween. And, you know, for them to go trick-or-treating door-to-door in a neighborhood, it was kind of fun. You connected with your neighbors. So I don't want to say absolutely not, but parents need to understand what the roots are. And we interpret it very differently, of course. It was not at all demonic. But I have to say this. I commend all churches out there that now are giving an alternative to Halloween. Yeah, They have events for children, and instead of going trick-or-treating, which is dangerous anyway because Just of all the, the things yeah, that are now being put into world. the nature of our world, I, I commend it. I suggest to parents that uh, they uh, find a church that is a special event for children and substitute it for Halloween. Good word. Okay, on to another one. Okay, Pastor Lutzer, uh, what should parents say uh, to a child who comes home from school and says, I I think I'm transgender, or I'll add, I think I am gay? You know what people need to understand? And by the way, in the book that we're mentioning this morning, No Reason to Hide, I have a chapter about that. What parents need to uh, explain to a child after listening, you always listen. You need to understand that a child will listen to a parent only when a parent has really listened to a child. Hmm. Having said that, you need to help the child to understand that self-perception is not always a reliable guide as to who you are. If you go into a psych ward, you can meet somebody who genuinely believes that he is Napoleon. Yeah. 
but he isn't Napoleon. You know, and, and the best example I have is anorexia. Here's a young woman who looks in the mirror who believes that she is overweight when Great in example. point of fact, she is starving herself to death. Great example. Her perception of reality is simply wrong. And what we need to do is to help people to see that you don't have a body problem, but you do have a mind problem. And it is so important for you to recognize that if you begin to believe that the body is the problem or that you think that gender is fluid, there is no, there is no satisfaction in that. It creates confusion. And by the way, there are plenty of examples of those who have transitioned, who have deeply regretted it, especially, especially if they begin to go into gender uh, surgery. My, uh, the destruction that happens. At that point, you have to yeah. understand you'll no longer be a biological parent and so forth. So you need to understand that it is not true that a woman can father a child or that men can have babies too. That is a lie of the culture, and our culture wants us to believe those lies. And when I was with, on, uh, with you before, Carl, a couple of months ago, I referred to Orwell, you know, who in yes. his book says that Winston was convinced or that he was taken into a room and they tried to convince him that two plus two is equal to five. Sometimes it's equal to three. Sometimes it's equal to both. I don't know whether or not Winston was convinced, but they wanted him to be able to live by lies. And our culture tells us that. Now, why is it that you have so many young people today who believe that they are trans? One of the reasons is because of what is being taught in school, where they are shown pornography, their conscience bothers them. They know that this isn't normal, even though they are told that it is. <laughs> All of us remember when we were teenagers, we looked into the mirror and wondered where God was when we were put together. Yes, We have yeah. image problems. And so we say, my problem is I must be trans. Furthermore, in some instances, then you become a victim and in our society, victimology gives you a lot of power. Yeah, the stakes. So a child. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. The, the child must be warned that going in those directions will not produce the happiness and the satisfaction that he seeks. If nothing else, you know, if you live even singly because you have sexual attraction that is unbiblical, even that is more satisfying okay. than going into that world. One quick follow-up on that that came on uh, came in by text message um, pertaining to the issue of gay marriage. If your child pursues that lifestyle, chooses to get married, as a parent, what do you do? How do you communicate both love and support without endorsing their choices? Well, this is my deep conviction, and I realize every parent has to think through and pray through this. You love the child, you affirm the child in the sense of that the child knows that you're going to love him or her no matter what, unconditionally. But at the same time, I don't believe that Christian parents should go to a wedding of their child if it's the same-sex wedding. Because being there is really an indication of affirmation. A wedding is to be a time of joy. It's to be a time of celebrating what is happening. And the child needs to understand that 
you love the child, but at the same time, you can't affirm that. You can't affirm something that is so clearly condemned in Scripture. Yeah, there's, um, um, I would, the only thing I'd add, being a pastor, is that there are so many different scenarios that have so many different layers. I think at minimum, pastor, wouldn't you say communi- communicating in love your core convictions no matter what and doing all we can to try to retain that relationship because it's going to hit a crisis one day and we want to be there to help try to pick up the pieces. Is that fair, pastor? Yeah, and that's why I'm saying that every Christian has to think through and pray through how to handle this. And I would add that I agree with you, not one size necessarily fits all. There you go. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. All right, Pastor Lutz, we just got a couple quick minutes here for this one. It's a tough question, but for years we rightly so, fought for the privilege and the funding for women to compete in athletics. Allie, you were a volleyball player in college. Yep. And uh, yet with this transgender movement, we've seen something happen that is really, it's a tragedy. And that is that women's records are falling at the hands of transgender men who probably went, whether prepubescent or went through puberty and then went into hormone blockers, There is a memory muscle and a physique that is undeniable because they were created, men and women, they were created. Pastor, what's going on in the psyche of our culture that's willing to throw women in mass under the proverbial bus? And what can we do about that? Well, first of all, in answer to your first question, it's ideology trumping reality. And what you have to realize is that ideas don't have to work in order to survive. They only have to sound good. So here you have an idea that sounds good, namely that men can take the place of women if they transition. It sounds good, but of course it leads to that um, disaster. And the only thing we can do about it is to stand against it and try to help people to understand that, uh, you know, Sex and gender are rooted. They're rooted in the biblical creation. How do you, you do? Can't... How do you do that, Pastor, without sounding like an angry evangelical? Uh, just ask people to consider natural law. You know, you don't have to even believe the Bible to know that men and women are different. They were created uh, differently, and uh, you can't imagine. You know, if everybody is a they or whatever, a baby is born and the couple uh, sends out baby notices, we have a new baby and the baby is a they. In other words, we don't want to say kid. whether it's a boy or a girl. Poor it's kid. unthinkable. So just point out it's contrary to biology. The one thing I love about Pastor Lutzer, when he preaches, he can hit hard truth in a way that is compelling to people that are even far from God. And that's terrific. He's got a new book out, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. You can get that at christianbook.com, christianbook.com. It is not a keyword. Somebody sent this in as a keyword. It's not a keyword that we have for you. We've got a code when you go to christianbook.com. Put in Lutzer22, 
Lutzer 22, and uh, they'll slash even a couple more bucks off that thing. Okay, we're going to go back to the phone lines. Call in or text in your question for Pastor Lutzer right now. We'd love to stay in this vein of how shall we then live, mm-hmm. kind of in this time. That's a Francis Schaeffer quote of a book that was a classic. But, Allie, we've got a question teed up. Yeah, question for Dr. Lutzer came in by text message. Is there a difference between a resurrected body and a glorified body? What do you say? Well, first of all, you know, it's very interesting. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but I don't think he had a glorified body at that Good point. point. I've often thought, you know, Lazarus, uh, you know, there was nothing that you could say to him that would cause fear. Lazarus, I'm going to kill you. No problem. I've been there. I've done that. So I think he had to re-die. But when you get to the resurrection of Jesus, Yes, indeed. The glorified body, its molecular structure is going to be so changed that Jesus could be in Galilee, and a second later, he could be in Jerusalem, and our body is going to be that way. Now, the Bible also indicates that he ate fish, which is very interesting, and exactly how that's going to happen, of course, is mysterious, where we're going to eat together, and we'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yes, But here's the thing that is so thrilling. It says in the book of Philippians, our body shall be like unto his glorious body. So at the resurrection, when you get your body, and by the way, the people in heaven don't have their resurrection body yet. That's coming at the rapture. But just in case you wonder, uh, by the way, Carl, you know, I've also written a book entitled One Minute After You Die. We feature uh, that here that. all the time. That's one of Allie's favorites. <laughs> so good. Okay. Uh, the point is that right now the soul takes on the characteristics of the body so that they can communicate and all those good things. But the thing to remember is that when we have our resurrected bodies, like onto his glorious body, we'll be able to say, I want to be over there. And we will be over there. No need to sleep. No need to ever get tired endlessly. Now, if you're having a hard day and you're a believer, keep that in your mind. And your day yeah. is going to go a lot better. Uh, 30-second response to this one. did Was Lazarus in the presence of God as promised to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord? And how would have that affected his life when he came back to natural consciousness? Well, you know, someday, someday we could ask him that and we'll have plenty. Oh, you don't want to take a position on this one, Pastor. (laughs) Well, yes, I think that he indeed went to paradise, but somehow he came back. Yeah. How that affected his life. We'll have to ask yeah, Mary no, and Martha. I, I know. That's a, it's, it's one of those, how many how many angels can you put on the pin of a needle kind of a thing. What do you got, Allie? Lots of questions coming in for Dr. Lutzer. Let's uh, set this one out. Uh, this is, comes from a parent who says, my daughter and son-in-law, or a grandparent, looks like my daughter and son-in-law are struggling with sending their children to public school versus a Christian school. What are your thoughts? They struggle. Do I send them to a public school so that they can be the light of Christ or send them to a Christian school to minimize their exposure to the culture. The, this is one of these questions that when you pitch it to a pastor, 
It's not what you'd call a win-win. Right. And I, I, I can probably speak for Dr. Lutzer in saying there's not going to be one hard, fast answer to this. Right. Go here or go here. But let's get some insight that will help guide decision making on uh, this. Pastor, um, give us your best 45 seconds on that one. I think that there is so much going on in our schools today that Christians should definitely think of alternate education for their children except there are still some parts of the country where there are schools that I think Christian kids can go to. Uh, I've heard about schools like that. I think that they are few and far between. But parent, here's the bottom line. You are responsible for the education of your children. And if you're loaning your child out to others, You'd better know what that child is being taught, who's teaching them, and what the values are. It's destructive out there for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, the worldview inculcation today, Pastor, is overwhelming. And many parents do not understand, and asking a few questions is in bounds. And if they aren't willing to answer, isn't that your answer, Pastor? Exactly. And uh, what makes people think? Now, this is a larger issue, which I also deal with in the book, that There are those who say that the education of a child is too important a task to be left to parents. The elite have to do it. And what is being taught taught today in some of our schools is pornographic. It is destructive. And we cannot take our precious children and throw them to wolves. It's different. You know, you say, well, they could be a witness in the public school. I don't think that we can expect that of a young child with the tremendous pressure that he or she may be experiencing at school. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Take it away, Allie. Pastor Erwin Lutzer, our guest right now. Let's tackle this one. A, A man who wants to live for God, wants to be true to his convictions, wants to be an approachable good guy and is finding that harder and harder to do in today's cultural climate. What do you say? You know, it is so important for us to remember the words of Jesus who said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. I've often pondered those words. I think what Jesus is saying and history bears out is that if you do not win a person's heart, you probably are not going to win his or her mind. So in answer to this question, the way in which you connect with people who disagree with you is to show them your heart. If you uh, deal with individuals rather than groups, take him or her out for lunch. Help them to understand where your heart comes from And even if they disagree with you, they will at least honor you and see where you are coming from. The worst thing we can do is to shout and point fingers. Yeah, man. Because what that does is it always causes a backlash. You know, Josh McDowell said something that every parent should hear. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. So if all that you have is the rules— and you don't maintain that relationship, the rules aren't going to work. And that applies to the business world. That applies to all of our relationships. Ultimately, not everyone is going to love us. Jesus predicted that. The world hated me. The world is going to hate you. But we don't have to go out there looking for hate. 
What we need to do is to make sure that our hearts are right, people know our hearts, and then the consequences belong to God. Yeah, I love that. Pastor, I have a friend who's a Fulbright scholar who was a debate pro, and he was explaining the tactics of debate. And then I asked him a question, and his response was amazing. I said, hey, did you, have you ever led anyone to Jesus after winning a debate? He said, never once. And I thought, that is fascinating. We went on to discuss the nature of change. And what you're saying, brother, is right on. We, we, we are not going to debate people into heaven. We're going to live them into heaven. And that's what Jesus said, Pastor. He said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So just an added comment. Yeah, yeah. now debates may have their place they do. in the intellectual world where you are defending the coherence of Christianity. But at the same time, if it doesn't lead to the cross and to the uniqueness of Christ, and, and even in a debate, we have to make sure that our own humility and yes. brokenness comes through. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can you can debate in a humble way and you can debate in a self-righteous way. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to represent Jesus, you'd better be humble. Yeah, you win the debate and lose the war. Boom Crew, we are in Ask the Experts Week. We've got Pastor Lutzer here asking questions. We were going to stay in this one lane of his new book, No Reason to Hide. We've diverged a little bit away from yeah. that. Lots of questions coming in on a couple, yeah. <laughs> lots of different topics. Yeah, this is fantastic, Allie. This is a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun here. We're going to try to get as many of you in here as possible. So we're going to try to go lightning round here. Pastor, dichotomous, trichotomist. Uh, trichotomist is body, soul, and spirit. I think of Watchman Nee as a famous trichotomist. There's many others. What's the difference and why does it matter? Well, first of all, I'm going to give an ambiguous answer. Okay. And the reason for that is in the Bible, soul and spirit are sometimes used interchangeably. Yes. Now, it does seem as if man is a tripart being. The soul perhaps being like the mind. You know, animals, some people think, have a soul. By the way, I have to throw this in. I was at the Billy Graham Cove two weeks ago, and I was asked this question, do dogs go to heaven, and do some cats go to heaven? (laughs) 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 So uh, Oh, that's a great one. That's great. I know some cats for sure that won't, but nonetheless. But here's the point that Uh, We can't always do, but there is a difference, even though some animals obviously can think, they can only think perceptually. They cannot think in concepts. They cannot talk about God. And that's where man differs from the animal. Yes. So whether or not we should make a hard line between them, I do not know. I don't think the Bible does, but of course, Usually we all are tripart, yes. but there are many people who have a different view, and uh, I think that we don't need to settle on exactly the difference. Okay, good. Good question. Thank you to Martina that called in with that one. Okay, another question here. Yeah, we've had a couple of questions that have come in kind of surrounding the idea of can you lose salvation? This one specifically asked about the passage that talks about our forgiveness of other people being linked to God's forgiveness of us. They said, does that negate salvation? Um, when we, If we don't forgive someone, can we lose our salvation? Goodness, I hope not, or else I've lost mine many times. 
and I'm not an Armenianist. Gotta go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Ask the experts this week, all week long. Today we're really focusing on really the here and now. How should we then live? No reason to hide. Standing for Christ in a collapsing culture. Uh, This is a phenomenal work. You can get it at christianbook.com, christianbook.com. And uh, you throw in a little discount code here, and we'll give you the hint, and it'll even slash more off the price. It's pretty reduced right now. Brand new book by Pastor Lutzer. Trust me, he'll sell a quarter million of these. Be one of those that gets armed up. Just to put in the code there, Lutzer22, Lutzer22. Okay, Allie, we got a question. A couple questions that came in by text message for Pastor Lutzer about can we lose salvation? One is specifically talks about the passage that says if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. So they said, does that indicate that we could lose our salvation uh, because of unforgiveness? You know, if all that we had was that passage of Scripture in a parable, we might come to that conclusion But what we need to do is to see that the parables are usually not the best place to find ultimate theology because Jesus is making a different kind of point. I think what Christ is trying to emphasize there is this, that if we do not forgive others, what happens is our own relationship with God is really put on hold. And of course, we know that uh, that oftentimes leads to all kinds of other things. When it comes to the issue of losing our salvation, there are so many passages of Scripture that do teach that once we are saved, we will make it into the heavenly kingdom. So in between times, there are times when if we do not forgive others, we do not experience God's forgiveness, even as believers— until we've dealt with that issue, but our ultimate salvation is not in jeopardy. If you need a passage of Scripture, think, for example, of John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Neither shall they perish, neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hands. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. So once we belong to God, sealed with the Spirit, we will arrive in heaven. That being said, Jesus makes it very clear that if we don't forgive others, the consequences even for our own lives oftentimes are very, very detrimental. Yeah, that's really good. You know, my dad is 94 years old, sings hymns at the top of his lungs still when I was visiting this him this summer pastor up in Anchorage, Alaska. And his favorite verse is, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. Another one that anchors that continual work of grace in our life from that initial grace. Okay, coming up here, we got some more questions. We got some callers. We got a question about cremation. We can tackle that one with our guest coming up. Hey, this is Bart Miller from Mercy Me, and you're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings on Moody Radio, Chicago. Pastor Lutzer with us right now, guys. Okay, I'm going to throw in a free one for you, Pastor, before we get to a cremation one. When Pastor Lutzer is watching cable news or evening news, oh boy, do you get ticked off? And how do you get back to the sanctification junction? 
<laughs> well, uh, I answer yes to both. Okay. Uh, oftentimes deeply grieved over what I hear and see, and not only politically, but the disasters. I mean, you're thinking, yeah. for example, of what happened in Korea and elsewhere, and the brokenness of the world and what's happening in uh, Ukraine. I mean, nobody can watch that without a broken heart. Yeah. But at the same time, I always remember that God rules and that ultimately everything is in his hands. That doesn't mean he's responsible for evil, but the evil does happen with his permission. You know, the words of Jesus to Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it were given to you from above. So what what happens when we see the news that is so distressing? We have to be reminded that God has placed us here to be a witness, but we also have to be reminded that this world is not our home. Boom. Boy, that's the answer. That is the answer. Pastor Luther, we have a caller who called in and says, both of my parents were cremated. Uh, what are the implications of that as far as the resurrection goes? Well, God is able to put bodies together, uh, you know, there are those who are cremated. Of course, many people have died in fires. Many of God's people were burned at the stake. And so what you have to do is to realize that God is able to take the particles and put them together. And uh, it's a miracle, but uh, God is a God of miracles. But I want to speak to the larger question of cremation. You know, in the New Testament, they emphasized burial, and the reason for this is because Jesus was buried, but also because, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, it's like a seed that has been put into the ground that grows again. So the early church believed that the way you, um, you know, honor the body in light of the resurrection is burial. That being said, cremation often uh, is happening much more in our society, even among Christians. And I think that ultimately to God, it makes no difference. Uh, the body is going to disintegrate one way or another. Uh, people have died. They've been swallowed by sharks. They have died in every way conceivable. And God in the day of resurrection is going to put the body together. So don't worry. If you die in Christ, you will be resurrected and your resurrection body is going to be perfect. And let me throw this in at no extra cost. Nobody who has died in Christ yeah. has ever regretted it. Yeah, that's that's right on. Okay, Pastor, really quickly here. Uh, thin or thick crust? <laughs> well, this, don't pontificate for... on this one. This is thin or thick crust. Carl, that's a question for you to answer. I only answer theologically. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We're not going a step further. You got to declare. Which one do you prefer, Pastor? Well, I think probably the thick crust, if that's permissible. Absolutely. There's no right or wrong on these. Tahiti or Maui? Well, I have never been to either, so... I, I think I would choose Tahiti. I think I'm with you. Cubs or White Sox? <laughs> That's not a problem. Cubs. <laughs> That's yes, right. And by the way, and by the way, speaking of Cubs, you know, before they won the World Series, 
I don't know if you remember this, but we used to be able to buy a Cub T-shirt that says, anyone can have a bad century. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You're killing me. And then then something else, Carl. Yes. Carl and crew. I don't know. But back then, I remember reading in the trib that the pitching machine pitched a no-hitter. That, that is would be brutal. I'm not pretty kidding. accurate. I would that assume. is brutal. Oh boy, that is that is. But they they won the World Series a few years ago. Yes, so they, they did. They're off the shenanigans. They're off yeah, the shenanigans. Right. Okay, coming up here, more questions for Pastor Lutzer. We want to hear from you if you've got a question for Pastor Lutzer. Call or text us three one two. Two seven four nine six two four. Denise, holding on. I know you got to get into work. Denise, ask your question of Doctor Lutzer. Um, hi. My question is: um, When people have near-death experiences and they say that they see their loved ones in heaven, I'm confused on that because I I understand that when we pass away, our souls go to heaven. We don't get our body until the resurrection. Good question. Great question, Denise. What do you say, Pastor? You know, it is possible for a believer in that transition, perhaps for that to happen. I'm thinking, for example, of Stephen, who looked up into heaven and Mm -hmm. already see Jesus, Mm -hmm. saw Jesus before he died. That being said, near-death experiences are very, very deceptive often. Even books have been written about, you know, I died and I went to heaven and I saw Jesus and Jesus told me this and that. And then I came down and this happened. Or uh, somebody else who writes in and says, I saw, in fact, a book has been written saying this, that Jesus told me all paths lead to heaven. And, you know, there's a Hindu path and there's a Christian path and there's a Buddhist path. Uh, here, Here's the thing. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is the one who has the keys of death and of Hades, and we need to focus on him. It is possible, I think, at times when people died without all of the anesthetic and so forth that people have today when they die, they may have caught a glimpse of heaven, but let's not depend upon that. Let's depend upon Jesus who died for us who was raised and resurrected and resurrected and promises eternal life to all who believe on him. Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor. And thank you, Denise, for calling in, taking your calls, taking your text messages, 312-274-9624. Ask the expert today, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Helping you start your day with a boom. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Love this question that came in from a young professional working in the corporate world who says, how do I live unapologetically for Christ when my coworkers and higher ups are promoting something totally different? What do you say, Pastor Lutzer? Well, first of all, let me say that uh, that's exactly the world in which we live. I'm also going to say that I'm not sure that there's a answer that fits all. Mm-hmm. But here is the key. What you need to do is to let your light shine and your convictions to be known. That doesn't mean that you are judgmental. It may be interpreted that way. But the Bible says in First Peter, and I'm trying to find it here, I'm actually doing these questions remotely, as yeah, some of you know. You're doing great. And so 
uh, you know, in the scriptures in First Peter chapter, uh, what is it, Carl? You know, it, three fifteen. It I'm says that right we now. should, yeah. First Peter, chapter three. Yeah, I'm going three. to try to find it in this Bible, but I just put hey, my hands. It's a on. race. Who can find it first? Carl's getting his yeah. Bible. I'm just whipping it. Pastor out. Lutzer <laughs> is getting his Bible. Who's going to come? This up is not. First? This is not my Bible. So I'm looking at it. It says, who is he to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is a great passage. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, here it is, set Christ apart as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give a reason for the hope that is within you. But here we go. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, that they may be ashamed of their slander. Wow, what a challenge in answer to that question. Wow. Yeah. To be able to balance the truth and the convictions with meekness and fear and respect and so you let your light be sh uh, shine for the glory of God. And it may get to the point where you might lose your job. But here in America, and we never thought we'd get to this point, the question that we might be forced to ask is this, namely, are we willing, if necessary, to quit our job because of our convictions? Christians have th throughout the centuries had to suffer They've always been an island of righteousness in a sea of paganism. What we are facing today, believers throughout the centuries have faced, and many of them have done so victoriously. Always remember in this, remember this, you don't have to win in this life in order to win in the life to come. Love that. You know, interesting, Pastor. We should sit down and talk about this because it goes on in verse 17 where you wrapped up there, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. It almost appears that the inability to live righteously in the context of unrighteousness is more loathsome in the eyes of God than the former. Bruh, really cool stuff, Pastor. Okay, what do we have here, Allie? Got some more teed up? Here's one. Do we pray to God or do we pray to Jesus? Came in by text message. When I'm praying, am I praying to God? Do I pray to Jesus? Pastor Lutzer. Actually, in the New Testament, what you find is you can do both, but uh, properly we pray to God in the name of Jesus. But at the same time, you find in the New Testament that there are those who petition Jesus for various things. And um, when you talk to Jesus, you know that you are talking to God. But of course, we are encountering the mystery of the Trinity. So, Normally, we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. But um, to pray to Jesus is more wise than liberal theologians who don't believe that Jesus is God. So <laughs> if your child prays to Jesus, his theology is more accurate than some people who don't believe that Jesus actually is God. Uh, quick side note on that one. There's a there's a school of thought called modalism who don't believe in the Trinity, but they believe in the manifestation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from one entity or one being. Uh, why is that dangerous? 
Well, it's dangerous because it really does deny the Trinity. But something else, Carl, the uniqueness of Christianity is the Trinity where God can pay the price of our sins to God the Father. You know, uh, many university students, they go to the internet and they say, Christianity is just like other religions because other religions demanded a sacrifice of blood as well. That is true. But only in Christianity does God become the sacrifice. Yeah. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And so because of the Trinity and because of the relationship of the Trinity and Jesus taking the wrath of the Father, and of course there's a great deal of mystery here, but Jesus taking the wrath of God on himself for our sin, he can then become a redeemer. If you have a God who is just... Uh, you know, the modalism that you talked about without a trinity, you would have a very powerful being, but you'd never be able to see his love nor his sacrifice. Yeah. Christianity alone has that. Yeah, and right out of the shoot in Genesis, let us make man in our image. Uh, you got a problem right there. Want more from your morning show? Check us out on social media. Just go to Carl and Crew Mornings on Facebook and Instagram. All right, we got a lot of questions pouring in here for Pastor Lutzer's Ask the Expert Week. We're kicking it off in grand fashion. What's the guy at the front of the parade? Come on. It's uh, not the parade marshal. The What's the grand marshal? The grand marshal. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, what, is that what we're calling Pastor Lutzer? Absolutely. He's the grand marshal of this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, here's sure. a question that came in by text message. Like, what is God's desire regarding us pursuing wealth? Well, you know, what's really interesting is in the Bible, wealth itself is not condemned. I mean, you can go in the Old Testament, the New Testament, but there are so many warnings about it. And the reason for that is because money makes all the same promises that God makes. Hmm. God says, I'm going to be with you in life or death. Money says, I'm going to be with you, whether the economy is strong, whether or not it's weak, whether you get uh, fired from your job or not, I will be with you. And the Bible indicates that this is a very dangerous way to live. You know, Paul says in the, in the writings to Timothy, you know, to beware of those who are wealthy. And then, of course, you have the theology of health and wealth, where, uh, you know, you give to God send me money, and God is going to give back to you. And people don't understand that that kind of theology goes directly against the generosity that God wants to birth in our hearts. Because what that kind of health and wealth theology is saying is, you will get more if you give more. But the motivation is to get more. And that, of course, is totally anti-scriptural. It goes against what God wants to do. Now, to all those who are wealthy, I have a word for you to recognize that God yes. gave you this wealth to invest it in the kingdom. This isn't for yourself. You don't have anything that God hasn't given you. <laughs> in the Old Testament, when, when uh, Israel was in Egypt, I'm sorry, I have to finish this because I'm so convinced that it's powerful. You know, remember God gave them favor among the Egyptians. 
and they were able to take silver and gold and everything. And the Israelites thought, wow, this is such a wonderful experience. Look at all the money that we have and all the goods and the silver and the gold. God had a tabernacle in mind. And when God gives us wealth, it is to invest in his kingdom. Don't die yeah. with millions of dollars. Right on. Give it away. I love it. Do your given do your given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> oh my goodness. This one is near and dear to my heart. We uh you know someone pastor who wrote a book that the byline was where self-help ends and God's power begins. And it's something that we wrestle with here on the morning show a lot because pastor we don't live as Titus 2, 11, and 12 people. We see the God's power oftentimes as, as seconded to salvation, forgetting that God's power is what sanctifies us through and through. In Galatian church, Paul wrote them, who has bewitched you? That's a pretty heavy-duty statement. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh, prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. It seems, Pastor, that this is the essence of spiritual formation and growth, is are we going to try to do this thing in our own strength or do it in God's? What do you say? Well, first of all, Carl, I want to give a shout out to your book. I, I wasn't, I wasn't asking for that, but thank you. Yes, I know you weren't, but you know, you hinted at it, and I remembered it before you even mentioned it. <laughs> So I want you to know, and I want all the listeners to know, that Carl has written a book which, in my humble opinion, balances the relationship between works, namely the disciplines of the Christian life and the power of the Spirit, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen it nuanced before. So it's a great book, Carl, and you ought to give a shout out to your book, it's okay to be humble, but there are times when <laughs> blessed is he who tooteth his own horn. For if he doth not do it, no one else shall. So tell the listeners. Oh, that, I'm sorry, but my stomach is beginning to hurt. I am getting an abdominal workout today. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, so okay. you can give a shout out right. to your book. I, I, and, uh, here's what's it, great. It, it, I've got a dear friend yes, here. Yes, and I, I, Pastor Lutzer, do know that I give plenty of shout outs because I, too, agree that this is a very special book. So don't you worry. He has a friend in me who's, who's more than willing to spread the good news about yeah, this book. Great. Quick question, and this is a, a, a very timely one, Pastor Lutzer, that came in by text message Given that it is Reformation Day, this person says, how do I respond to my a Catholic sister who says that the first church is the Catholic church and that Martin Luther split the church and will suffer consequences eternally? Uh, first of all, Allie, I did want to respond to the question just a little bit and yeah. say that, you Good. know, we as human beings are always tempted to go the direction of the flesh. That's the default position. But the problem is we do not seriously take the consequences of sin. And what we need to do is to recognize that it says endure hardness like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you'd be surprised at the number of believers who have no filters at all when it comes to what they watch, to, when it comes to what they listen to. And as a result, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And what happens is the flesh wins. 
Now to the other question that was asked. If you go back and read the New Testament, you discover that the Catholic Church has many add-ons, if I can put it that way, that are not found in the New Testament. So it is not true to say that the Catholic Church was the original church, because what happened throughout the centuries is various traditions developed, various uh, issues, even I would say superstitions developed, and these became a part of what was known as Catholicism. What Luther wanted to do is to go back to the Bible alone, and it is this that split the church. Now, technically, in order to answer this question, it would take about an hour lecture, but that's a quick summary of what happened. So it is not true that the Reformation split, as it were, the original church. The Reformation went back to the New Testament, Mm. to the Bible alone, and that's why we had that Reformation. Quick insight, Pastor. Uh, Luther, even at the posting on the Wittenberg door, there was a long span of time that he was digging out um, in really clarifying his theology. What did what have you learned from Luther that is a principle of laboring in the in the text that we can take away? First of all, at the Wittenberg door in 1517, he put those 95 theses there as a very devoted Catholic. Catholic, yes. He did not intend to split the church. He wanted to uh, clarify and to get rid of some abuses. It has been said that if Pope Leo had just made some changes, yeah. the Reformation might not have happened. But when the Pope dug in his heels and would not make any changes, and when the church came against Luther, he began to realize that it was time for him, and eventually the split occurred. Very quickly, and this is to everyone who's listening today, whether you are Catholic, whether you're Protestant, I am not a Lutheran, but here's the point. Luther discovered that salvation had to be a free gift And we don't even have to make ourselves worthy to receive it if we recognize our own sinfulness and come to Christ Mm. with our sin, that's our contribution, to receive the gift of his righteousness. In effect, what he said was, Lord, I am thy sin, thou art my righteousness. And right now today, Carl, there are people listening to this program who believe that they have sinned too much and that God can't forgive them. Right. And I shout out to you, the issue is not the greatness of your sin. The issue is the wonder of the righteousness and the perfection that Jesus credits to you That's good. if you recognize your sin wow. and come Boy. to him in faith and receive him. Because to get to heaven, you have to be as perfect as God. And uh, if you're married, your wife will help you to understand that that's not exactly (laughs) what you have accomplished so far. Yes. And of course, the opposite also in marriage. But here's the point. In Christ, we become the perfection of God saved on the basis of his merit. Luther discovered that fasting and prayer and even confession and all kinds of things to somehow mortify the flesh, would not bring about the righteousness of God. Bottom line, 
No matter how much he did, it was never enough for a God whose holiness is impeccable. Only what Jesus did met God's requirements. Turn to him right now, even in your car if you're listening. Admit your sinfulness. Trust Christ and his gift of righteousness. Yeah, this is this is wonderful, Pastor. To the person out there that's still a skeptic, why is this not cheap grace? Why is this one of the most righteous acts we can make? Because when you receive Christ as Savior, various things happen. You receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And you begin to live differently. One of the best ways for you to know whether or not you are a Christian is, do you love God? You see, what happens is God implants a love for himself in our hearts when we are converted. I remember that this happened to me when I was 14. I finally received Christ by faith. And the next day, I knew that I knew God. Now, isn't it interesting that when the Apostle Paul explained this in the book of Romans, he was afraid immediately, I think it's in chapter 6, where he says, well, will you not say that uh, we can sin that grace may abound? Yeah. If if sin brought about grace, well, then the more we sin, the more grace. He said, may it never be. And I say to that person out there, this is not cheap grace. It cost God his son. It cost God the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when we receive Christ as Savior, it changes our lives. Don't ever think of cheap grace. It cost God plenty. It's free to you, but not to him. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wow. All right, now we have Pastor Lutzer with us. Let's tackle this one quickly before we uh, go to a little break here. This one relates to a passage in Revelation that talks about the, the 12 angels guarding. Why is there a need for guarding? What do you say on that one? Well, very quickly, why is there even a need for a walled city? The yeah. fact is that the book of <laughs> Revelation indicates the new Jerusalem, and this is really uh, possibly symbolic. But more than that, what it is saying is, is that in this glorious atmosphere, you do have angels, you do have gates, you have, you have a foundation stone. Why not some angels to guard the doors? Again, it's not as if they are doing what uh, needs to be done in the city of Chicago or some other city in the world. It is a symbolic reference to the fact that we will live in a city. Mm. And why a city? Why not a garden as the Bible began? Because in the city, you have to connect with people. And there we will gladly connect yes. with one another beautiful. as we live next door. The New Jerusalem, Pastor, quick add on to this one. We got to keep flying because we got a lot coming in. It's measured 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, which is huge spans. Wasn't it you who spoke to me on a sidebar discussion that said you believe we are not bound by those dimensions? That's simply the dimensions that would fit with what you're saying. Is that you that was sharing that with me? Yeah. And then, you know, the Bible says we'll go in and out. So, you know, the dimensions of the city, by the way, I think it's a cube, and the only other cube in the Bible is the Holy of Holies. Hmm. So, you know, when you stop to think of it, the New Jerusalem is going to be the Holy of Holies. 
I don't know how much is literal and what what right. is symbolic, but I will shout this out. The best is yet to come. Yeah, you got that right. New to the show? Stick around for a while. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Any text out of context is... Pretext. And you can find pretext for lots of things, and oftentimes you find proof text, which is scripture that proves your life situation. Pastor Lutzer, this has oft been discussed. I want to hear your take on this one. In Romans 7, Paul says, Foolish man that I am, that which I want to do, I don't do. That which I do, I don't want to do. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? He goes on to say, Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate answer. But What is the context of that? Should it be used as a proof text or kind of a dismal approach to this is the common Christian experience? Well, I think in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is speaking as a Christian, talking about the experience of wrestling with sin. And I really do think, uh, Carl, now in Romans chapter 8, of course, which is the great chapter that all of us have expounded upon the power of the Spirit and all of the blessings of the Christian life. The simple fact is this, that even though we delight in Romans chapter 8, wouldn't you say that it is true that we've all suffered in Romans chapter 7? Yes. And it is there that the Apostle Paul says, I have a desire to do what I what is good. Mm. It seems as if his desire is there, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, I keep doing. So that, I think, is an experience of Christians, but it should not be used as a justification to continue to sin or to fall back into sin, because you should get to Romans chapter 8, which is a chapter of no condemnation, a chapter of deliverance of the Spirit, and so forth. But, you know, Until we get to heaven, the struggle is always going to be there. And if we don't say that out loud so people understand it, they will constantly think that their situation is unique and that the mess and the repetitive sin that they are in, no one else has experienced, they will think to themselves. So they need to be given hope that just because you're experiencing this doesn't mean that you should stay there, but it doesn't also mean that you are unique. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I mean, Romans chapter seven, an amazing chapter because you read it and you say, wow, this has been my experience. But then you get to Romans chapter eight and you say there is hope in the midst of these struggles. Great, great way to put that, Pastor. I appreciate that. Um, That's a Powerful, powerful, powerful chapter. You know, I've been tackling from the life of Joseph the rewards of an overcomer and really the life of an overcomer. Why, Pastor, does God lend such time to characters like Joseph? And how should we apply Scripture like that to our life? Well, you know, I've preached an entire message on uh, a series of messages on Joseph. And my suspicion, Carl, is that you have as well. Yes. There are so many lessons that we can learn from his life. Uh, For example, even the way in which he said no to Potiphar's wife. How did he have the strength to do that? He had the right view of God, 
how can I do this great evil, a right view of sin, and sin against the God that I love? I mean, a tremendous lesson. But when you get to the end of his less of his life, as you know, he says to his brothers, one of the deepest theological issues that is found anywhere in Scripture, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, that God can even take evil and injustice and bring about good from it. But the other reason that so much... Um, uh, so many chapters have been devoted to him, is the salvation story. The whole story of how God was able to take the Israelites from where they were into Egypt. And then, of course, after they were in Egypt, he brings them back under the ministry of Moses and his leadership. So there are multiple reasons that God gives a great deal of attention to stories like that. But the other reason, which is even more practical, is that we relate to stories. We can understand what Joseph was going through when he was betrayed by his brothers, when he uh, was sold into Egypt at the age of about 17 or 18, and the kind of experience he had there being thrown into prison unjustly. By the way, I'm going to leave uh, this question with this to encourage everyone who's listening. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph and he, of course, became an assistant to Potiphar. Now, he gets thrown into prison unjustly. We know that story. And what does it say? Joseph was in prison, and the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line, he is with us in our promotions. He's with us in our demotions. A quick uh, tag on that. Joseph is identified from Pharaoh's mouth as a man being Filled with the Spirit, as a matter of fact, he said, has anyone seen a man so filled with the Spirit of God? And I want to dovetail that with our call to be filled with the Spirit. Why have we neglected the infilling of the Holy Spirit? And I'm being broad brush here, but why have we neglected the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Why do we veer clear and what must we do to reclaim this incredible gift that Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go so that the Holy Spirit will come? Tag both Joseph and link it to Ephesians. You know, Carl, it is so critical that people emphasize this. Now, one of the reasons we neglect the Spirit is because of some extremists out there. And so some yes. evangelicals have stayed away from legitimately teaching about the Holy Spirit. But think about this. Jesus said, when I go, and I'm thinking of the passage that you quoted, I will come again to you in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus will be in you all that I was to you when I was here on earth. Before I preach any message, I know that I'm indwelt by the Spirit because I'm a believer, but I always tell the Lord I want to receive in faith the fullness of the Spirit, the freedom of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, if you can call it that, so that I might be able to be effective in what God has called me to do. And of course, this goes back to ancient times. Joseph, of course, as you mentioned, Pharaoh commending him for being a man filled with the Spirit. I'm not sure that... Uh, you know, Pharaoh understood exactly what he was saying. <laughs> but Joseph had such uniqueness about him 
Pharaoh recognized this is a very special man, and that ought to be true of us today as believers. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Pastor Erwin Lutzer with us right now. We mentioned his latest book, No Reason to Hide, Standing for Christ in a Collapsing Culture. Go to christianbook.com, christianbook.com. You can find it for a great sale price today. Okay, Pastor Lutzer, we just have you for a short little time left. Here's a question from text message. It says, where do we go now when we die, believers and non-believers? Is there judgment immediately upon death? Uh, very quickly, a believer goes into the presence of Jesus uh, for uh, me to live as Christ, to die as gain, Paul says, we gain Christ. An unbeliever, I do not believe, is finally judged. I believe that unbelievers find themselves in Hades, because in Revelation chapter 20, at the end of the chapter, it says, in the final judgment, the death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. I know that this isn't popular, but what we have to do is to recognize that God is also a God of wrath, mercy, yes, in Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to receive Christ, who protects us from the wrath to come. Final judgment, though, not yet for unbelievers. And when we're in the presence of Christ as believers, we also have a judgment seat of Jesus Christ. where We are rewarded and graded in terms of how we lived. There appears to be a degree of consequence in eternity when Jesus said, it'll be better for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you, Bethsaida, because if the miracles I'd done in front of you had been done in front of them, they would have repented. It indicates that there's not a bubbling pit of fire and the little old lady from Pasadena and the fill in the blank all go there together, call it Pol Pot, Hitler, whatever. What say you, Pastor? Oh, absolutely. People are going to, I mean, and absolutely I agree, people are going to be judged on the basis of what they did with what they knew. Nobody is going to be telling you, you're going to hell because you didn't hear of Jesus. If you didn't hear of Jesus, you know, that's not your fault. But you will be judged on the basis of what you did with what you knew, namely conscience and nature. And unfortunately, there's no evidence that that will qualify you for heaven. But certainly, your judgment is going to be less severe. Let me throw in another text that comes to mind, Luke 12, 48. He who knew his Lord's will and did it not shall be beaten with many stripes. He who didn't know God's will will be beaten with few. In the end, despite all the problems we have with this, Throughout all of eternity, we are going to sing, Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. One more for you, Pastor Lutzer. This came in by text. When you become a believer, does God write his laws on your heart, or is that in the future when we see him face to face? Well, you know, actually, according to Romans chapter 2, the law of God is written upon every person's yeah, heart. That's right. There is within all belie- all people— of all different stripes and religions, a sense of right and wrong, a a conviction that God exists, and a sense of judgment to come. So that is written on the hearts of everyone. Now, when it talks about the law of God being written 
I think that that has to do with the millennial kingdom when uh, everybody is going to be redeemed and they are going to worship God. Of course, in the millennial kingdom, also there will be children born who will become rebellious. But the point to be made is that the basic law of nature is the law of God written in every human heart, even now. In the future, a totally change of nature and so forth will come. Boom Crew, celebrate what God is doing in you. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. Pastor, we're going to try to get a few in here. This is mine in a world of uh, that is now discussing equality versus equity. Uh, delineate those two, and what is the Christian's responsibility? We we've we've historically been woefully short in the area of equality alone. But if we talk equality, don't we need to put feet to the pavement? pastor. Oh, Carl, I wish I had a lot of time to answer your question. By the way, it's answered in a book that you're talking about today. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> the word the word equality and the word justice, I have to begin there, are terribly misused today. For example, we have marriage equality, which is same-sex marriage. We have income equality, which is socialism. We have environmental equality. So the problem with today's society, we take a good word like equality and we apply it to things that are not equal. And that's why the word equity is a word that is often used with reference in the same way. It is applied to areas where there is a liberal woke agenda, where it is no longer competence, for example, that gets you a job. It's whether or not you have checked a certain box, that is equity. And therefore, we have lost the meaning, really, of the word equality, and for that matter, even the word uh, equity, but especially the word justice. When justice is cut off from a biblical definition, you get all kinds of things. You get marriage, justice, and all the rest. And here's a verse, I think it's 59, or is it 57 of Isaiah? I'm seeing it in my mind. Verse 14, righteousness stands afar off. And justice is not allowed to enter because truth has stumbled in the public square. So that's where we have to begin with truth and work our way out. Fantastic. Got a really easy one here for you, Pastor. Does the church go through the tribulation? Well, (laughs) I I don't think that the church is going to come under the judgment of God. And so... You know, under those conditions, the church does not go through the tribulation. But let's let's look at it this way. That does not mean that the church has not experienced tribulation throughout its 2,000 years of history. Absolutely. The things that people are experiencing today in China and North Korea are as bad as any great tribulation can be. The only difference is it is coming from man. It is not coming from God. Mm. So we may escape the Great Tribulation, but mark it down. We might not escape Tribulation. You know what? That is the best one sentence. The Tribulation that we encounter today, although it is grievous, painful, horrifying, it is a Tribulation at the hands of man, not of God. That is profound. I have heard a lot of discussion on this topic, 
and studied it myself immensely, and that is dynamite. All right, Allie, what do we have? Uh, Pastor Lutz, I want to go back to our conversation about equity and equality. I know you tackle this quite a bit in your book, No Reason to Hide. So what does it mean for us as a nation to own sins of the past and be able to move forward? What do you say to that? Oh, that's a very sensitive issue. But I would say this, that collective guilt can be very destructive. The reason that the, Jew, that the Jews were so terribly persecuted by Christians throughout the centuries were because of collective guilt. You were the Christ killers. When actually, when they said, his blood be upon us and upon our children, that was not said by God. That was said by the religious leaders. So when we begin to say that we need to emphasize collective guilt, that can be very, very destructive. We have to recognize what happened in the past, the abuses, the slavery, and so forth. And we need to be able to uh, understand that as well as we can, talking to our brothers and sisters. But at the same time, I cannot be blamed for what another generation did. It's a complicated issue, but we need to make sure that we have individual responsibility as the primary thing that we understand. You know, this, of course, Ali, raises a whole host of questions that we can't get into right here. So we need to think clearly, though, of the dangers of collective guilt. I guess this would dovetail with it, and this is going to be our final question of the day. Pastor, imprecatory prayers are something I've been studying extensively as of late, and I've come to the conclusion there is a righteous way to pray these what is, a, what is an imprecatory prayer, and what's a righteous way to pray them? Well, Carl, what I don't understand is, why are you asking me if you have been studying this? <laughs> well, I want to hear your take this on is, it, because you feel question, free to take me on here. I mean, I, I feel like there's— This question yeah. is, is your question. But, you know, when you stop to think of it, isn't it appropriate at times to pray these prayers, which have— a great deal of judgment connected with them. I'm thinking, for example, of even, uh, you know, Psalm 100 and uh, what is it? 112 and 121. Yeah, 121, where you have, you know, may you give judgment to the wicked and so forth. There comes a time when we pray those kinds of prayers because we're asking God for mercy But there are times when we also ask for judgment according to his purposes and his will. What do you think, Carl? I believe that if we are praying, ultimately, that God's mercy and his grace would meet them not for consequence, but for repentance, we are on good ground. Most assuredly, most assuredly. And you know what? There are some things that we have to just leave to God, and one is all of the things that he is going to take into account when he, in his final day, judges all people. Yeah. Pastor, you have stamina of a 20-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I, we, are, we, we were in here bragging about you. Your ability to know you caught us twice when we had neglected to re revisit a question that had already been asked and we had set it up for you. You're, you're doing well, my man, you've got, I told you this years ago when I was at your going away service, I said, don't you dare retire. 
you've got too much juice in the tank. You've gotten stronger as of late, and I mean that. I love you. I'm proud of you. You have blessed the Boom Crew today, my friend. Well, one last word from me. I turned 81 uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the good thing about old age, Carl, don't forget it. It doesn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> All right? So let's I feel like we should all sing the, the, the King is Coming right now. All right. I, I, I always pray, God, keep me alive as long as I live. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this show cast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.